no matter what, you should never hold all your assets in one place. It doesn't matter if it's your own keys or a company like Celsius or somebody else you trust, right? So I would definitely break it up between two or three providers. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candice. I'm your host, Candice Horback. Before we jump into this week's episode, we're going to do our traditional shout outs to everybody. So I wanted to say a big thank you to Chase, to Paul Fisher, and to Ken M. Thank you so much for those cups of coffee. Seriously, I could not appreciate all of your support more. All of it goes right back into the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This week is another episode that's going into what I'm kind of calling our crypto series. So we have Alex Mashinsky joining the podcast. If you don't know who he is, he's an entrepreneur. He's founded eight companies, four were unicorns, which is insane. His newest project is Celsius and he's taking on the big banks. So that takes a very special and very brave type of person to try to turn the banking industry upside down. I really hope that you learn a lot from this conversation, that you find it entertaining, and that it makes you start getting involved. So uh, without further ado, please help me welcome Alex Mashinsky. Alex Mashinsky, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Um, I've been really fascinated just with like your story. My husband met you at an event in Vegas and had nothing but wonderful things to say. And then I started doing my own little dive on you. And you have this really cool like kind of fighter, go-getter personality, which I just really resonate with. One of the quotes I heard you talk about in a somewhat recent podcast was that you were like ready to get in the ring with these big banks and that you have this punching power. And I'm like, man, I really like this guy because someone who's going toe-to-toe with such a big beast um, must have a lot of confidence and really have a serious mission. Yeah, no, thanks for the intro. Very few people in the world are willing to pick up the fights uh, with the the largest banks in the world. So definitely that's like the pro ring. If you compare it to like AMA or whatever, this is, you're going for the belt when you try to, when you pick a fight with JP Morgan or with Bank of America or any of those big guys. And most of us kind of accept the fact that these people uh, don't act in our best interest, that they are basically stealing from us every day and we do nothing about it, right? So I keep reminding people, banks are not your friends and you better, uh, you work so hard for your money. You work day and night, right? And then you just let these people steal it from you. So you're already paying 50% in taxes. Make sure that the other 50% works for you instead of you working for it. So how do you walk someone through that waking up process? Because so much of the information that we've been fed around what is money, what are finances, um, and how to kind of like level up your position in this world are either dated or or blatantly false. So let's go through it, right? Most people think that the government prints all the money. Right. They've seen mm-hmm. printers and they you know, they see this thing that's prints dollars and they're like, that's the government. But actually, the government doesn't print any money. Right. The, all the money in the world comes from either central banks like uh, institutions like the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal nor has any reserves or banks. Right. Banks actually mint money or create money out of thin air. And people will be like, what are you talking about? My- <laughs> banks can't make money. Of course they do. So when a bank gives you a mortgage, they create that money out of thin air, right? You give them 20% deposit and they give you 
whatever, a million dollars to buy the home. They just created $800,000. It doesn't exist. It only exists on their uh, spreadsheet in their computer. That's the only place that money exists. Just like when a company goes public, let's say Uber goes public and it's suddenly worth $100 billion, just a few minutes be- before it was worth $10 billion as a private company. So where is the $90 billion uh, is created from? Poof, it just creates out of thin air, right? So people have to really, unfortunately, they don't teach us any of that stuff in high school or college. You can graduate with PhD in economics and not understand how money works because it's almost like a w- very well-kept secret. So most of us just, again, we go, we have a job, we get a paycheck and we think, okay, the company that paid us made this money. But not, that's not true either. Those companies just take loans from banks and other places. They didn't even have the money. It's all borrowed money or it's money that VCs gave them or somebody else. So, so it is a little complicated. And because of that, I think uh, all of us have to really spend more time understanding that or we have to find someone we trust, mm-hmm. an institution that we trust who is acting in our best interest. And those are very hard to find because most of these institutions, their entire job, like JP Morgan, their entire job is to charge you fees and deliver that as profit to their shareholders. They care about their shareholders. They don't care about their customers. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And then that's one of, I think, the biggest things about the conversation with the movement movement for like crypto or DeFi is is supporting the community and supporting, and supporting like the patrons versus the shareholders and the execs and then these kind of legacy businesses. So I wanted, before we get into like, what is DeFi? What is the fu- future of finance? I kind of wanted to dig into your story a little bit because one of the things I've also heard you say is that entrepreneurs are driven by something other than money a lot of the times. So usually it's something from their past and there's something that kind of sparks this this purpose for them. So I wanted to know what was your story? Like what drives you to take on this fight? Oh yeah, thanks for asking. And, and uh, so I was born in the Ukraine. Uh, it's obviously in the news these days. Uh, mm-hmm. I was born there in 1965 and, and uh, my parents were refuseniks. Refusenik were people who were refused exit. They were not allowed to leave the Ukraine. Back then, uh, Ukraine was part of the USSR, the evil empire. And uh, my parents were like, well, no, we don't want to live here. We want to go live somewhere else. And the Communist Party, right, basically took away their job, took away their rights. And uh, basically, my, my father was unemployed. And, and uh, you know, we lived in a shack uh, uh, and I have an outhouse. Anytime I needed to go to the bathroom, I remember it was like freezing cold. <laughs> and I would have to climb up a hill to an outhouse and it was just miserable, right? And it's all because we did not agree. We, meaning my family, did not agree with the regime, did not agree with this idea that uh, everybody, uh, you know, uh, with communism, right? So so we were very lucky because in uh, 1972, the, Russia had a very severe famine and Armin Hammer, Hammer and uh, uh, Nixon our president uh, decided that they're going to give Russia uh, a wheat, 300,000 metric tons of wheat in exchange for 300,000 Jews who were allowed to leave Russia and Ukraine. So that was me and my family, you know, we were basically responsible for four metric tons of wheat. <laughs> so when people ask me, why did you come to the United States? I'm like, hey, I owe the America four metric <laughs> tons of wheat. They paid for me back in 1972. You know how much more expensive wheat is now, you know? So people laugh at that, but but freedom, right? America 
uh, uh, did this without asking for anything back. They didn't, they didn't sell the weed. They didn't whatever. They just saw the suffering of these people and they said, you know what? Okay, we're going to help the Russian people by giving them food. But in exchange, we want all of these refuseniks, all these people who refused exits to get some freedom, right? And, and uh, it's not just me. Like there's a lot of famous people like Sergey Brin and others who are part of all of that exit from the Eastern Bloc, right? So, so when I see tyranny, when I see oppression, when I see little guys being squashed by big guys, uh, that's what I'm fighting for because that's my background. That's where I come from. And, and obviously, anytime I see that, I, I feel it viscerally in my bones. You know, it's not, a, it's not like a little thing that, uh, oh, you know, I read in the news that, uh, you know, Russia is doing this or somebody is doing that. I lived through that. I lived through that suffering. So I came to the States. Uh, I did eight startups as the founder, uh, four unicorns. So wow. I'm probably one of very, the very few people in the world that can say that, uh, four unicorns, you know. And I just have this unlimited passion and, and stamina to fight. So my first one, my first company was fighting for voice of IP, what we're using right now, right? Basically taking the power from the phone companies, giving it to all of us so we can talk to each other no matter where we are in the world instead of only allowing the people who can afford to pay $3 a minute to talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Transit Wireless, which is the company that brought uh, uh, Wi-Fi and 4G and 5G to the New York subways, right? Last big city with no connectivity underground. So if you don't have enough money for an Uber, guess what? You're not going to have any bars on your phone. Let's solve that problem, you yeah. know? Uh so 8 million people use that every day. Again, Celsius Network is now helping almost 2 million people with financial freedom, with uh, enabling us to save and, and earn yield, have, again, have, have our money work for us, right? As hard as we work for it. And, and it's all taking away from the banks and giving to the people. We Celsius paid its community over $1 billion in yield, right? Which is unheard of. And so these all, it's it, if you look at it, it's all the same path. It's the same journey, same story. And, and I couldn't be happier to do that because uh, every day people tell me all over the world, you really helped me. You know, you really uh, showed me the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I, I thought that's it. I'm never going to be able to pay off my debts or find, find the path to financial freedom or whatever. And here uh, again, they don't educate us about that because they don't mm-hmm. want us to know <laughs> It's like, imagine if everybody had enough money to live comfortably, right? Who would be working, right? That's what they're thinking. <laughs> but here I am, I have several unicorns and I'm working seven days a week. So the motivation doesn't come from, I just need enough money to buy my uh, taco. The motivation comes, we all have aspirations. We all have passion uh, for something uh, like what you're doing, right? I mean, uh, you know, and, and you're not doing it because of what they pay you. You're doing it because you love what you're doing. Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. It's like if people actually had less stressors in their life, they would probably be putting in more hours for their passions and actually working. Like not everyone wants to go to a soul-sucking job just to like maybe pay their bills. So, I mean, of course, there's going to be some lazy people. There's no way around that. But I don't think that that's the majority by any stretch. Right. Just most of us don't get the opportunity to discover what we're good at. And uh, so we're stuck in doing something we don't really like versus doing something we're really passionate about where we could be uh, the best we could be right and mm-hmm. and and having that a little bit of financial freedom 
allows you to search for the thing you're really good at. If you don't have that money, then you're miserable and you're like always upset and you're frustrated and you take it out on other people. Why? Because you don't have that little bit of cushion that would allow you to search for what you're really good at. So what we try to do at Celsius is really give you that opportunity, give you uh, a little bit of earnings. Every Monday, we give you a little bit of money based on how much you have, right? You're earning some yield and you can basically, you get hope every Monday deposited into your wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that's what people need most these days is, is just getting some optimism, right? Just like, again, the, the Americans deposited the metric ton of wheat to let, give me hope to escape that tyranny in, in the USSR. No, that's so beautiful. And I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think over the last couple of years, and especially with everything that's happening in the news right now, it's like we definitely need some kind of optimism. And if anything, it's kind of shown us the instability of these centralized systems. So, I mean, if you take the crisis that's happening over in Ukraine and um, and Russia right now, it's like in like overnight, the, a lot of Russian citizens like couldn't bank anymore, couldn't operate their businesses anymore. And this is because a leader that they may or may not support is committing atrocities. So what does that mean for, you know, like the single mom over there that now can't can't have a bank account? So it's like you have these people that have a lot more control over your daily life that you maybe didn't realize was there initially. And we witnessed that in the States with COVID too. It was like, well, you can't do this or you can't do that without certain um, parameters being met. And we see it when it comes to marijuana. Like you have this business that is legal in plenty of states, but banks say, nope, we can't take that money. And actually, we might not let you bank at all. And now it's getting to the point where if you voice certain opinions, like certain political talking heads can't bank anymore. So you're like, well, my, now my voice can can get me banned from banking. Like who would have thought in America that that could even be a thing? So you start exploring these ideas of decentralized finance. So for people that don't know, I guess first let's tackle what is that and then how do you know who to trust within that system because you seem to see some other hindrances there and we can get into like Coinbase and what happened with Canada because it seems like, well, is it really decentralized? How do I know? Right. So <clears throat> it, it is a complicated topic. So I'll try to simplify it and kind of break it into uh, very simple things. But really, what's happening right now is kind of very similar to the gold rush that we had, uh, you know, whatever, 200 years ago, whatever it was. And and everybody knows that there is something happening, right? Everybody heard about Bitcoin or Ethereum or DeFi, and they have no clue what that is. They just know that there is like easy money there or free money there. And uh, why am I working so hard at Starbucks or why am I working so hard at my job if there's all this easy money over there, right? But that's not really what's happening. So let's kind of dig into what, what's going on. So first, the blockchain, which is the technology underlying everything we're talking about, uh, has been around for 30 years, over 30 years. So back in the days, in the early 90s, when I was working on Voice of IP, uh, Scott Stornetta and other people seven miles from where I was were in Belcor working on uh, the blockchain. So very little has happened uh, with the blockchain until 2008. What happened in 2008? A mysterious person, Satoshi Nakamoto, we still don't know if it's a he or a she or a they, uh, uh, came up with this amazing idea that 
I'll refer to her as she. How about that? She, <laughs> it's like mother nature, you know, it has to be a female, you know, so creating something beautiful. So she put together all the things that we, we in computer science invented in 70 years and then added one more ingredient that suddenly completed the magic, completed the recipe, right? And created digital money. Like I was working on digital money on, uh, back in 2004, 2005, and, and I couldn't solve the puzzle, right? So for 70 years of computer science, no one has solved the puzzle. We had the blockchain. We had all kinds of other things, but we did not have all the right incentives to create this uh, distributed ledger, this ability to really replace what we have today, the finance system that we have today with something new. So ledgers come in different forms. So obviously you can have a ledger by just opening an Excel spreadsheet. You, you can have a two-way ledger or double entry ledger, which is what you have in a company or in your bank, like the entries you have, you and your bank have are considered double entry ledgers, right? Uh, each one is a deposit and a withdrawal and a credit and a debit and so on and so on. Here is a triple entry accounting. What is triple entry? And that's the invention of Bitcoin, the foundation of everything we're talking about. And triple entry accounting saying, you don't need an intermediary, you don't need a bank, you don't need a financial institution to keep your money or do things for you. You can transact with anyone on the planet. And people go like, but I can do that today. No, you can't. Today, if you want to send money to somebody in Ukraine, for example, you go to your bank, you, your bank sends it to an intermediary bank, that bank goes to the Ukrainian bank, and the person on the other side has to withdraw it from their bank, right? And in the meantime, in between, they have to change currency, and they have to do this, and they have to do that, and you pay like, I don't know, 10% in fees, right? What if you could take... $10 and send it directly to the person who you want to send money to, right? Just like when you call somebody on a phone, you call their number directly, right? So, or voice, use voice of IP, use, you go directly to their IP address. So that never existed with money, right? With money, we always needed intermediaries. So triple entry accounting comes in with Bitcoin and says, okay, now everybody has an address on this network, new set of rails, right? Just like in, the internet was a new invention. Bitcoin is a new invention. Bitcoin slash blockchain allow you suddenly to do things you've never been able to do before, right? Mm -hmm. And anyone on the planet can participate. No one can be blocked. It doesn't matter what a uh, person or country or doesn't matter what your sex or what your beliefs are or whatever. No one can block you from accessing this network, which is amazing, right? And now it's all about trust. Can we all pile on on this network and trust it instead of trusting our banks and our financial institutions? Or are we going to, or it's going to be too messy, it's going to be risky, people are going to lose their money and so on and so on. So what we've seen over the last 13 years, Bitcoin is 13 years old, is that some people are very good at it, keeping keys, knowing how to transact on the blockchain. Some people are horrible at it. They do silly things like trust strangers to help them with transaction and they steal all their money or they're sending stuff to addresses that they didn't verify, or they put the, the password in some place that's not safe and somebody takes it away from them. And just painful to see how much money people lost on the blockchain, right? But if we can solve that, then we can replace the existing financial system with this new system. So DeFi or decentralized finance is another evolution, another step uh, on top of Bitcoin and Ethereum, these are kind of like the main two main chains, blockchains that are running today. And it allows anyone not just to 
basically buy a certain asset and move it, but also earn yield, take loans, and do more advanced things that normally, again, you will only do with your bank or with your financial institution. So, and suddenly that is opening us to do innovation. We can create things just like on the internet. We created tens of thousands of crazy companies and we got Netflix and we got Amazon. We got all kinds of crazy things that never existed before. Now you can do all that stuff with money. So if you heard about the Cambrian explosion, boom, there's like a nature just went crazy and started creating uh, many, many different creatures because nature figured out how to create multi-cell living things. The same thing is happening now with money. Money itself, value, is no longer trapped between banks that work with each other. But anyone, you can write code, you can write a, an algorithm or a protocol and innovate, create something that never existed before. And many, many people are going to join you because you solved a problem that the banks couldn't solve for you. So that's really what's happening. And a lot of people are rushing in and saying, okay, this is the golden rush. So I'm going to create a protocol or I'm going to uh, provide the picks and shovels for everybody else to, to build on, on this and so on and so on. And trillions of dollars, not billions, trillions of dollars are flowing in from TradFi or traditional finance into DeFi and CeFi, right? And that's really what is so amazing. And we're just in the beginning. Like if you think, okay, I'm at the end of the game. This thing has been running for a while. Banking existed for 700 years, hasn't changed much. This is the first big change. The first time we were going from a double entry accounting system to a triple entry accounting system. So even if it's 13 years old, that's nothing. That's still a baby, it's still a teenager, right? So mm -hmm. you have to think about it in those terms. So if you don't know anything about uh, crypto, uh, in six months, you can become the world's expert in something. If you just put your mind into it and drive your skill set, right? What are you best at? and create that version of that specific thing in this new world of finance. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of advantages to it being in its infancy, but then there's also like that um, uncertainty that comes with that as well. So it's like a double, like a, there's like two sides to that coin. Um, so when it comes to what my understanding of like crypto and DeFi, like a lot of that is to kind of resist censorship and to have sovereignty and like this really big idea of freedom. Like those, that's what I think about. And that's kind of like what got me in the conversation and got me really interested in the space is because I don't think anyone should be able to tell you how to handle your money or where to spend it and kind of like place this morality on your finances like no you we we don't support this idea we don't support this plant whatever it is so that being said how do you know that where you're putting your money is aligned with your principles in that way because we, what we saw in Canada was people getting arrested for selling a cup of coffee to someone who then later went to a protest against, you know, the regime over there. So how do I know that? Because like, at Coinbase now, it's like anything over $1,000 in Canada, you have to disclose and both people, and then they have to approve it. And $1,000 is not a lot, a lot of money to have to like go through this process. So I guess part of that is because they went public. Or maybe all of that's because they went public. Um, but how do you know that, like, if you're doing that on another platform, that that platform doesn't fall subject to that as well? No, it's a great question, and 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 it's really getting harder and harder. I think the the banks, like a like a bear, they're just trying to give us a bear hug and tighten and tighten mm -hmm. bear hug, hoping uh, that we won't be able to escape and we won't be able to th uh, thrive because. Mm -hmm. 
banks banks don't want any changes they love mm-hmm. it the way it is right they make all the money uh, uh, we take all the risk it's our it's our dollars they get to make money on our money and they give it to themselves as bonuses and so on so so the there's definitely both the risk that you mentioned that uh, defi is, is the wild west and you can lose all your money very very quickly we had a week ago we had a 600 million dollar hack a few weeks ago, we had another $300 million hack, right? Where we're in, in a second, all the people that were in that pool, in that bridge, uh, lost their money. So it's very important that you don't just say, oh, you know, this is easy. I'm just jumping into straight into DeFi and I'm putting all my money on this one project that I don't know anything about, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be just fine, right? So definitely don't do that, right? So most people have to land on Bitcoin first. You have to understand Bitcoin. Then you have to understand Ethereum. Then you have to understand DeFi. And again, you can test, for example, DeFi on Polygon, a network called Polygon, with $10. You can put $10 and start playing, right? Start you know, staking it on a protocol, earning some yield. Obviously, you're not going to make a lot of money, but the point is just you have to really make sure that the machine is well oiled and that you do the homework and you know how to manage keys and go across chain and everything else. But now that you have that experience and that may take you six months, right? It's not like a few hours worth of work. It's a completely different system that has nothing to do with what the way we manage money today. There's no ATM machines. There's no direct deposits. There's no checks or online payments, none of that exists, right? It's a completely different system. So you have to learn the new stuff, right? You have to become comfortable. And at the same time, you have to also follow all the rules. So if the government in your country is saying KYC ML and you're going to a platform that doesn't do that, there is a chance that they will confiscate your assets or that you that, that company will disappear or that they will steal your money and so on. So working mm-hmm. with regulated entities or entities that you can trust is a very important piece of it, right? It doesn't mean, just because it's regulated, it doesn't mean that it's a bank. It doesn't mean that it's against you. So you really need to do homework, like on our company, like Celsius Network. Okay, where are they domiciled? I see they have offices in the United States. I see they filed with FinCEN and they filed with other agencies. So obviously they're not offshore hiding under some rock or whatever. So mm-hmm. all those things are very important in your process of educating yourself and choosing people that you trust. Also, you have to look at fees, right? Sometimes, like you mentioned Coinbase, Coinbase charges, I think, 7% to buy coins on your credit card. That, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You, you will not make 7% waiting a whole year. Uh, your bank will pay you less than 1% if you put that money in a bank for a whole year, right? So paying 7% to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum is, is, is not acceptable, right? So mm-hmm. you have to understand that as well. That's why it's important to do small transaction verify see okay what are they charging me i Mm -hmm. I bought fifty dollars worth of bitcoin what are the fees okay now i learned who's who's acting in my best interest and who's not like acting in my best because a lot of platforms that don't charge any fees right so so you really like you said before it's two sides of the same coin you have to understand the fiat side you have to understand the crypto side and it takes some time to go back and forth a few times Right. And then you have to learn about keys. Right. OK, so so who has do I have do I hold my own keys or do I trust somebody like Celsius to hold my keys on my behalf mm-hmm. so I don't have to manage keys and so on. So there's a lot is involved. Each country has its own set of rules. Right. So I'm sure you have viewers from all over the world. And, and you know, again, we support we 
provide services in 170 countries. So we try to make it as universal as possible, uh, but there are unique things for each country. And some of our services, for example, are not available in some of the countries around the world. Okay. So when it comes to holding keys, because that's obviously a huge topic for a lot of people, it, like this really great debate. Some people say if you have a lot of your resources that are locked up in, in any kind of crypto, you should absolutely hold your keys. So they're like not your keys, not your not your coins. And then other people are like, no, that's way too much for, to be responsible for as one person because there's just so many ways to, to lose it or for it to get stolen. And you want to look at a like a credible company like yourself to hold the keys. So what is that process? Like, how do you make that decision as, as a holder? Like, how do you say, like, should I hold my keys or how do I know that I can trust this other person with my keys? Yeah. So it's a great question. And, and really there's three, basically three chapter first, no matter what, you should never hold all your assets in one place. It doesn't matter if it's your own keys or a company like Celsius or somebody else you trust. Right. So I would definitely break it up between two or three providers. And again, if you want to know how much to put in each bucket, it's very simple. If you're not sleeping at night, that means you have too much in one of those buckets, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's the measurement, right? But really, you if you're comfortable, if you know how to handle hardware uh, keys, like, uh, um, you know, there are many different companies that do that, right? You can basically put your Bitcoin or Ethereum on the hardware key, put that in your safe, for example, or keep it in a bank safe, and hopefully you don't have to touch it, right? You, you, you want that Bitcoin to sit there for a very long time. You don't, if you need to trade it every day or every other day, that's not a good place to put it on, right? So the second option is to put it with a company like Celsius that pays you yield. So you give us Bitcoin, we store it, keep it safe. And then because we create yield on that Bitcoin, we give you most of that yield back, right? So that's the mm-hmm. second option. A third option, you go to, an institution that is a trust company, for example, and you say, look, I, I can't trust myself. Uh, giving it to Celsius might be uh, a little risky because uh, they're doing all kind of stuff with my Bitcoin. I just want to keep it with a trust. So yeah, so you have three options and you can just, for each person, it's a different decision. Meaning I would say 99% of the population is not going to be able to ha- manage their own keys, right? And we've seen that again and again and again. Uh, just as an example, one of the top 10 chains, right? One of the largest chains, their CTO, chief te- uh, technology officers has a hardware key and he has like 300 million there and he doesn't remember the password. So if the CTO of one of the blockchains doesn't remember the password, how are you going to remember the uh, the password? Oh my right? gosh. So, so, so that, and, and you see, you see uh, uh, videos or, or well, on YouTube, you see people, like I know this guy in Ireland who hired like a hundred people to go through a dumpster because he I has saw that. There, right. And he knows he has like $400 million on that computer and they're digging to find that his computer from a few years ago that he forgot to take the hard drive off and so on. So, so these are the, you don't want to be one of those people. you right. No. So, so you, so there for you, for 99% of the population, it's either you pay somebody to hold it for you or you, give it to somebody you trust like Celsius who holds it and earns yield for you, uh, which is we think is a better option. Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust myself to have all of it on cold storage at all. Like Again, I, I saw that video of that poor man having all these people <laughs> in this dumpster, like giant, uh, what do you call it, dump site, 
searching for this computer. And I'm like, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to all of that. Yeah. So definitely diversify. And I love your calculator that you have on your website. I was playing around with that earlier today. So you can actually see if you put, you know, X amount of Ethereum or Bitcoin um, into Celsius, what you're going to be making off of that. I was like, this is really fun. And why wouldn't you keep it here? Because it just makes more sense. Yeah. And these assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum are the best performing assets uh, over the last decade, right? So if you thought you were a genius investing in Tesla or investing in, uh, you know, uh, whatever, Apple, uh, Bitcoin did like uh, a thousand times better, right? So it's not like a little bit better. It's not twice as good or three times as good, right? It did tremendous, you know, a thousand times better than any stock uh, in the stock market. So, and again, it doesn't mean you have to put 100% of your money there. Just for each person, again, you have to decide how much do I have in bonds? How much do I have in stocks, in real estate, my income, maybe an insurance policy and so on. And then how much am I putting in Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? And since all the other stuff is dollar denominated, all that is tied to your uh, 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 fiat currency that you live in. If you live overseas, it's maybe tied to your Turkish lira. It's tied to your uh, Venezuelan, whatever, uh, Bolivar or whatever it's called. Uh, and, and you can wake up in the morning, like in Turkey, people woke up and their currency dropped by 50%, right? Overnight, like this, in one day. Mm-hmm. So you don't want that to happen to you. So you want something that is not attached to your currency, not attached. And people tell me, but the US dollar is so stable. I'm like, stable? Since 1971, we were on the, uh, well, that's when we went off the gold standard. Uh, the dollar lost 95% of its value, 95%. In the last two years, we printed the, the banks and the Federal Reserve printed 40% of all the dollars that ever existed. That means the inflation of dollars, not the CPI, but the inflation of dollars is 20% a year, right? Are you, is your salary going up 20% a year, right? So, so that's what you have to protect yourself against. Again, you're working so hard for this money, right? You exchanging eight hours of your life every day for a paycheck. And then that paycheck, half of it goes to the government and the other half shrinks every day because of inflation. Do you want to put it in something that runs faster than inflation or do you want to keep it and let it shrink, right? And people say, oh, I invested in real estate. Real estate is barely keeping up with inflation, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, just because it barely kept up until now doesn't mean it may, it, we may have a housing crisis again and, and, and uh, your house may be worth less than what you bought it for. So, so you just need another asset class. You need something else that is not attached to any of these things that you own. And, and if you want to know how much to put in there, again, if you bought some Bitcoin and you're not sleeping at night, that means you have too much Bitcoin. And if you bought Bitcoin and you're sleeping like a baby, like your baby, right? <laughs> uh, then you don't have enough. If you're sleeping like a baby, that means you don't have enough. You got to go and buy some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because when you do compare it to other stocks, um, it's significantly outperforming. But then you have these like really vocal critics of it. One of my favorites, and I've mentioned him on a couple other people. And like the series I'm doing is Peter Schiff, and <laughs> his comment section is just amazing because it's like no matter how well that the coins are doing, he's like, "This is all a scam, and it's going to go to zero tomorrow. You just wait. I'm going to be right." Well, he's first his, his son. His son is a huge. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, supporter. 
Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I had a debate with uh, Peter Schiff on uh, um, um, on one of the TV shows on, uh, uh, and I called him uh, uh, Goldosaurus because he's only loves gold. <laughs> <laughs> he only loves gold. So anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's not gold, he doesn't like it, right? And and uh, you can't, gold didn't do anything. Gold is up, I think, 4% over 10 years. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is up 10 million percent. That's not even a comparison. It's like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> uh, it's time for a shift. You know, that's why I told him, come on, Peter, it's time for a shift. No, so, I, I have I a totally lot of gold agree. jokes. If you want, we have plenty of uh, gold jokes to to make Peter Schiff angry. But oh, uh, give me give me a couple. <laughs> so <laughs> I t- uh, it's uh, by the way, it's called Kitco News. Kit- the name of the TV. So if you just do a search for Kitco News, uh, uh, Mashinsky, that's my last name, and Peter Schiff, you'll see the the debate. Uh, it was an hour long debate, and so I told him, Peter, you know the golden rule: buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> or, or uh, you know, it's a golden opportunity. Or I, I just, I, you know, I, I went for an hour just uh, beating him up with every pun possible related to gold. You know, um, so, uh, so if you want to watch it, it's, uh, you know, it's right there on the on YouTube. I definitely do, and I don't know why, but I just find it so amusing that his son is such an enthusiast because it's like, of course he is. Like it's the typical like rebellious dynamic that you would expect between like a a prominent figure father and and his son. So that's great. And, and the same thing with Jamie Dimon. His daughter it talks about Bitcoin all the time. She loves it, right? And, and he's like <laughs> anti Bitcoin. He, he couldn't say one nice thing about Bitcoin. So. So it just it, it shows you that there's definitely a generational disconnect between people who kind of say no money could be anything it it could be our money something we created for ourselves instead of something that a government or a central bank created and and uh, older people are like no money can only come from where we think it can come from and and you know your funny money your monopoly money is not real you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to question the people that have been experts for a really long time because, I mean, when we've seen like the last year or two, first it was like, oh, no, we're not heading into inflation. That's just, um, you know, that's just the alt-right just trying to scare you. And then it was like, well, this is why inflation could be good. And then it turned into inflation is actually a good thing and you just consume too much. So let's explain because most people yeah. don't even know the difference between inflation and deflation. So most people heard this word deflation and they say, oh, it's horrible. It's bad. Deflation is like a disease. Well, so let's explain to them what it is. So you have a little bit of money, right? Mm-hmm. You go to sleep. There's inflation. You wake up. There's more money competing with your money. That's inflation. There's just more <laughs> money competing with your money. It was created overnight while you were sleeping, right? Deflation. You go to sleep and there's less money competing with your money. So you don't have to do anything. And suddenly your money is worth more than what you had the previous day. So deflation is good for you. It's bad for the government. It's bad for banks. Inflation is bad for you, but it's great for the government. It's great for banks, right? So the question is not what is good and what is bad, but the question is, what is it good for? For, Mm. Is it good for you or is it not good for you? And Bitcoin is deflationary. What does it mean deflationary? There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. 19 million of the 21 already 
exist. There's only, there's a little bit of mining going on that's going to create it, but more people lose their keys every day than the amount of Bitcoin being created, right? So the total amount of Bitcoin is actually decreasing. Uh, and that is inflationary. I mean, def sorry, it's deflationary. I confused myself, <laughs> right? So even gold, gold has inflation. Why? There are gold mines all over the world. They're digging up new gold, right? And we don't really know. No one can tell you how much gold is out there. Mm -hmm. With Bitcoin, everybody knows how much is there, how much is going to be available, uh, who has what. Again, that triple entry ledger that we talked about before is viewable to everybody. You don't even need to have Bitcoin to be able to look at the Bitcoin ledger. It's public information. It's immutable. Everybody knows who owns what, right? Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of the stuff. Instead of banking, keeping like a secret ledger to themselves, managing the balances of all the people on this planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And transparency seems to be a huge aspect of a lot of this and a lot of what your company is doing as well. Like I've heard you talk about like you have patents, but you are a proponent of like open source just because it's like, well, we need to get everyone on board with this if we want to see um, like a sustainable change and like this shit, like serious shift in mindset. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and most of crypto, most of DeFi is open source, right? So so you, the, one of the beautiful things you can do in crypto is that you can take something that already exists, fork it or create a copy because it's open source, add a little bit of ingredients, right? Take somebody else's recipe for, for a, a frittata, add a few things, and suddenly you are the best chef in the world, right? <laughs> and if everybody loves it, your financial creation, they all put money into it and it's doing very well, right? That's what we did with Celsius. We created yield. We were the first ones to invent the idea of earning yield on Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. And all you had to do was put Bitcoin and it created more Bitcoin. You put Ethereum, it created more Ethereum. It looked like magic, right? But that's what banks do all the time. They just pay most of that to themselves, right? JP Morgan brags to their shareholders every quarter. You can look at the financial statements with the SEC, right? They brag to the shareholders, right? Look at how much money we made from other people's money. We took all these people. We haven't paid them almost anything for their deposits. Then we made money on it. Look how rich we are. We are amazing. We made $30 billion this year from other people's money. And we gave it all to ourselves and to you, the shareholder, right? Aren't we smart? Great. Buy our stock, please. You know, that's what they do every quarter. Right. And Celsius basically says, wait, hold on. How about we do the same things banks do, but we give all that yield, all that income to the uh, customer, to the people who actually worked hard for the money. Isn't that what it's supposed to be in the first place? So it's really simple. There's no complicated stuff. I'll, I'll just give you another example. Right. Let's say, again, I gave JP Morgan a deposit a, of, of $100. And at the same time, you use the Chase Manhattan card, right? That's part of the JP Morgan family to charge your credit card. You took a loan from the bank. You're going to pay 25% on your credit card. I gave a loan to the bank, right? So my money was used to pay your purchase on the Chase card, but I'm getting 0.1%. The bank is paying me 0.1%, charging you 24%. It's not their money. They're lending you my money. I'm mm -hmm. getting less than 1%, you're paying 25%. How can that be fair, right? How can that be something that no, nobody's screaming and saying, wait a second, let's come up with a better way. How about the two of us give each other a loan on the blockchain, you know, 
Celsius will charge you 9% and pay me 7%. You get, instead of 25%, you get the money for, at 9% and I, make, I get to earn 7% instead of 0.1%. That's really what this is all about. It's replacing the financial, greedy financial institutions with someone who's acting in your best interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've heard you word it like you were. You've said communism doesn't work, socialism doesn't work, and then this kind of version of capitalism is really only serving the one percent. So one percent, yes. Mm-hmm. That's so why we you- charge one percent. So we we went to our community and said, "You want to be part of the one percent? We're going to give you loans and charge you one percent. How about that? Just destroy the banking model." Yeah. Instead of 25% of your credit card, how about 1%, right? Now, how can we do 1% alone? People be like, oh, come on, wait a second. 1%, that's too little. We only do asset-backed lending, meaning you have to give us some kind of an asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum, and mm-hmm. then we can give you a dollar loan against it, right? So so we don't, we, we, we don't do like unsecured lending. On your credit card, it's unsecured because if you run away and don't pay the bill, uh, JP Morgan uh, has to go and find you. Right. And, mm-hmm. and if they can't find you, they have a write off. Celsius holds your collateral. And because of that, we can charge you one twenty fifth of what JP Morgan charges you. Mm-hmm. No, which is nuts, because, I mean, growing up, you would just sign at 18 all of these credit card bills, never read the fine print. And then as you get older, you're like, holy cow, this is almost 30 percent interest. Like this is absolutely nuts. And then they're giving these young college kids, you know, $10,000, $20,000 balances. They know like, their parents will pay. They know their parents mm-hmm. will bail them out, right? So instead yeah. of worrying about these kids drinking, mm-hmm. uh, I think our regulators should worry about how many credit cards the banks have, have given these people. That is really what's endangering their uh, financial freedom and their li- livelihood. I mean, after somebody's uh, mortgage or their rent, the second biggest payment is is their credit card. And people are paying. Amer- America has $2 trillion in outstanding credit card debt, paying $600 billion every year in interest. Crazy. Six- Instead of you receiving $600 billion, you're paying the banks, the richest people in the world. You're paying them $600 billion of your hard-earned money. Just um, unbelievable, right? No. So we have to change that. No, 100%. And that's why I loved that you call it uh, decentralized Buddhism and you talk about giving back to the community. And you're like, well, how can you do that? Like, how can a company exist and be successful if it's giving away all of its money? Well, so it's a a great uh, way. First, we are, uh, we're not giving you 100%. We are keeping enough to pay our bills and everything else, but we also benefiting from the size of the community. So just to give mm-hmm. you one example, right? Uh, uh, most of us use WhatsApp. WhatsApp uh, for now over 10 years have given you a free service, right? An app that allowed you to talk to anybody in the world for free. They never charged you anything for it. Yet the company was sold to Facebook for $22 billion. So how can a free service be worth so much money? Well, the community having a billion users or 2 billion users is worth Billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Celsius. Celsius is worth a lot of money. We were recently r- raised $750 million at a $3.5 billion valuation because our investors said, wow, you guys have an amazing community. They're, these people love you to death. I mean, they're like, they'll go to war for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how did you create that? How did you create this amazing community? And it's because we're doing good, because we're helping 
uh, a lot of people, right? And you do good first and then you do well. That's our formula. Mm. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And you kind of hope that that the whole conscious capitalist movement kind of goes there with a lot of things, right? It's not just how do I get inflated and make the most money possible, but it's like, how do I also add a level of contribution to what I'm doing? Definitely. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, the, the God works in mysterious ways and the, you know, my parents taught me, right. They were like, listen, giving is receiving. And, and I remember me being a teenager. I was like, what are they talking about? They're so old. <laughs> right. But when you get older, you realize that there's karma in the world and, and that doing good does come back to you with a uh, hundred blessings. Right. So, so, and 90% of the people in the world are trying to do good every day, right? They care for others. They, they'll give you the last $10 if they see that you're in trouble and so on, so on. So all we did at Celsius is really unite these people, right? We, we put them together into a community and said, okay, let's pull together. Let's work together to make sure that our hard-earned money is, is earning yield for all of us, right? Because what do we do? We take... We have 150,000 Bitcoin that's worth several billion dollars and we lend it out to institutions. So banks and institutions, large, in, uh, large financial institutions are paying us. If I by myself went and tried to lend it to them, they wouldn't pay me anything, right? If you give your money to Coinbase, they don't pay you yield. They'll mm -hmm. never pay you yield. But if you come as Celsius, you say, I have $6 billion worth of Bitcoin. Do you need a loan? Okay, pay me yield. Pay me interest. Then they do pay you, right? So... Uh, the, the individual, the power of the individual is not enough, but the power of the union, the power of all of us pulling together allows us to do things that none of us could do on our own. And, and we were flipping the model. Instead of the mm -hmm. banks charging you overdraft fees and inactivity fees and ATM fees and you name it, any opening fake bank accounts for you and all kind of stuff, these banks, I mean, I can't believe how creative they are when it comes to charging you fees. Instead of that... We're charging them fees. And this is the first time in history that the average person is ahead on the next big thing, right? We have Bitcoin. The banks don't have it yet. They're just now getting into the game. When mm -hmm. was it? When in history we were uh, ahead of Goldman Sachs or ahead of Bank of America on the next big thing? We always get to buy at retail, right? Mm -hmm. So here we flip the tables and... We are charging them fees and you get to keep most of that through Celsius. So I just love the model. We win together and the banks lose. I mean, how, how could it be <laughs> any better than that? You know? No, that sounds amazing. When my husband got back from that conference, he started calling them banksters. <laughs> I was like, that's Bankster. amazing. I was like, I've never heard that, but it was something I guess he picked up while he was there. And I was like, they absolutely are. And we watch these movies or I, I, the more I'm reading and like getting into all of this, I'm like, this is no different than the mob. Like this is a shakedown. This isn't an absolute shakedown. So like, what are your options? So I guess when it comes to like that whole crossing the chasm period, which I feel like is kind of where we're at. Have you seen that video? It's like the viral um, visual of like what that looks like. So there's, it's at like this outdoor festival and there's this hippie dude and he's hula hooping by himself and he kind of looks a little bit crazy and everyone's just watching him. And then slowly people start joining him. And by the end of the festival, yeah, like yeah. everyone's having a great time. So right now it's like a couple of those weird hippie dudes hula hooping and they're just waiting for everyone to jump on board. So I guess when it comes to your company when it comes to Celsius, like how do you make that transition um, like 
as seamless as possible and easy as possible for people to cross that chasm? Yeah. So look, if you use WhatsApp and it doesn't work, great. You switch to Skype or you switch to something else and it doesn't really matter, right? It, it's, it's the same thing. So uh, this is no damage, right? But when you, when you deal with money and you trusting somebody with money and then they make a mistake or you make a mistake, you lose all your money. There's no recovery. You cannot just jump to another platform and start from where you were. So the, the trust level, right? The amount of trust you need to have with your customers is dramatically higher, right? And that's really why the adoption for crypto is actually slower than it is for many other things, because it does take a long time to learn all the things you have to learn about this new world. And then you have to find, figure out, okay, who am I going to trust, right? Who is the, who is the, who is the party that really is going to act in my best interest? And, and can they keep the keys safe, right? Let's, how long they've been in business, right? Uh, how much did they pay out to the community? So you cannot, we, we proudly display all that information on our website because we've been doing it longer than anybody else. And we haven't had a single hack. We never had any coins stolen from us or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, but it, it definitely, I totally agree with you. Uh, crossing the chasm is where we are. And actually the guy that wrote the book, I mean, that book, uh, as it relates to voice of IP, he used voice of IP as an example of crossing the chasm. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, what's his last name? Jeffrey something. But anyway, so uh, so we now we're crossing the chasm again, but this time we're crossing it with all the money in the world. This is a fight for all the money in the world. And the banks, again, are holding us. They're like, hey, don't go on that bridge. Don't cross. I know if you go to DeFi or CFI, you'll never come back. So let's hold you with regulation. Let's hold you with scaring you about the other side, about how bad they are or whatever. But people understand when they look at this and they – just ask themselves the simple question that I ask you, like the credit card. How can it be they charge you 25% but only pay you 0.1%? How can it be that banks make so much money and give it to the shareholders and they don't give you anything? If they couldn't pay you 5 or 6% like Celsius, well, how are they paying 15% to their shareholders, right? They're bragging about return on capital, 15%. Again, all of that is black and white in their filings with the SEC. So all these things are things that you have to ask yourself. And we all know, again, we, we all know instinctively that something is wrong with our financial system. The game is, is rigged, that these guys get away with murder, right? Another, another simple statistics. The top banks in the world in the last 10 years paid $240 billion, $240 billion in fines because of illicit activity and bad things that they do. Wow. Illegal stuff that they did, right? All over. Now, and they come and they call the cattle black, like, oh, crypto <laughs> is bad. But you guys paid $240 billion in fines. Maybe you should just keep quiet. Okay, just don't say anything. You know, like, who's talking? You know, so <laughs> crypto is not the problem, you know. So, so, again, but it's on us. Look, this is probably the most important thing I'll say in the entire interview. We can't fix this. We can't fix the banking system. We can't fix the politicians and the governments and everything else. We can't. We're not going to change that. Okay, they have too much power. One of the most powerful lobbyists in the in the world are the banking lobby in Washington and in London and in 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 uh, in every country in the world. So here we are creating a new world for ourselves, right? And in this world, the crypto world, we the people have to decide. 
Are we bringing the bad habits from Wall Street? Because that's what Coinbase is doing. Coinbase is not here to help you. Coinbase is here to charge you fees left and right. They charge more fees than the banks. There's no <laughs> bank that charge you 7% to buy something, right? So are we here to bring those worst habits or are we here to create, you said, uh, uh, um, decentralized Buddhism? Can we help others and then help ourselves? Like again, with Celsius, I personally, I have $300 million of my own money on the Celsius platform. So why am I working so hard for Celsius? Because if Celsius does well, I do well. I earn that yield, right? So I, I, I created the bus, I'm driving the bus, and everybody else came up and said, hey, can we join you on this ride where you get paid 7% without doing anything on your dollars, right? How did I'm like, come on board. You can sit right <laughs> next to me, earn exactly the same amount, and there's no ticket. You don't have to pay a fare. There are no fees, right? So which model is the better model. So if we can create a new world in which we all work together, right, to deliver the future of finance and the banks are the one paying us fees, the financial institution paying us fees, right, to get to the finish line, there's no better way, right? But we all have to pull together. That is really the the key to being successful, the creating the community, supporting the community, helping the community, right? And and, and that's not easy. That's all of us has to really work hard to understand who's acting in our best interest and who's not, who's doing good and then doing well, and who's here just to charge you fees and put their name on some stadium and brag about how uh, rich and famous they are. Where where do you think that company got $700 million to, to pay for that stadium? You paid for it with your fees. <laughs> Now, that's a really good point. And on, and you putting that much money into your own company is, I mean, that's a testament to how much you believe in it. And I think that that's so important in this space because we see so many bad actors, again, because it is the wild, wild west. So it's still kind of like self-regulating right now. I did want to ask, so as a, your father of six, and I'm that's like in your bio, so it's something that's very, obviously very important to you and um, kind of like an identifier. And you're also this billionaire. So you have like the, you're in this like very small circle, I feel like as far as perspective goes. So like what does what does legacy mean to somebody like you? Well, see, when you get to be at my age, right, you're not really thinking a lot about, oh, I want to make more money, right? Mm -hmm. So most people my age, break into two groups like one is okay you know uh i've done good but uh let me give a little bit back to society so i'm gonna join a charity or i'm gonna put my name on a building or i'm gonna whatever go, go and create publicity so if people think that i'm a big donor or i'm very generous right so i can kind of fix my image so i would say most of the people in the world fall into that category i'm talking most billionaires right fall fall into that category uh, very few people actually focus on, okay, how do I make a world a better place? So like if you think about uh, Bill, the, Bill and Melinda Gates, right, with their foundation and how they're, I think they're an example of somebody who is trying to make the world a better place, eradicate malaria, right? Like uh, find new medicines, like obviously they donate as well, but they also manage money for many other people and try to get as much of that money to do good as possible, right? Instead of just giving money to some charity and not actively doing anything, right? So, so those are 
so I'm on the second camp, right? I'm, I'm, I want to uh, work hard at making the world a better place, leave a legacy, right? Leave, leave the path for others to follow. Again, this decentralized Buddhism, the idea of uh, decentralization, the idea that all of us pulling together as a community, we can create something that acts in our best interest, right? Create that model that hopefully will outlive me. And my, my uh, passion, my, uh, my excitement is when I see people all over the world tell me, Alex, I'm doing so much better. I paid off my debts. I can, I'm, I'm actually saving. I can see the path. I can pay for my kid's college. I bought my mom a house, right? That's, that's what gets me excited, right? I mean, uh, every morning I read uh, messages from people from all over the world who are telling me these stories, right? And that's where the, where, that's where the energy, the power, the excitement comes from. And you could be the most successful entrepreneur in the world. You're not going to have any of those feelings, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, again, you're creating wealth for yourself. But I think the measurement of success is how many people are you helping around the world? How many others? Uh, and again, strangers helped me, right? Strangers got me, lifted me out of poverty with my uh, parents' outhouse in, 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 in Chernovtsi in the Ukraine, right? For no reason. Like a, mm-hmm. I was just chosen with 300,000 other people, given a second life, given an opportunity, just like many are doing today, right now. You know, we mm-hmm. have we have Celsius people who are working for, with, you know, who have accounts with Celsius who are in Ukraine right now volunteering, right? They took loans to help Ukrainians and, and so on. And just, again, put tears in my eyes about how much good is out there. And all we do want to do is ignite that. We want to ignite all of that instead of uh, many of us who work for a bank or financial institution or whatever, and just helping some giant company make a little bit more profit for some of the richest people in the world, right? Because just think about it. When 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 somebody charges you an overdraft fee, you don't have money. You, your account is in negative, right? They charge you $50 for an overdraft fee. You went negative $5. And the fee was $50. Who gets that $50? The richest people in the world who owns the stock of that bank. That is what's so painful. That the poorest people in the world are the ones making the richest people in the world even more rich. Can we flip that? Can we turn it on its head? Yes, we can. We've proven that doing good and then doing well on the blockchain works better than ever. And the community just... We we managed $23 billion dollars. $23 $23 billion. People sent us $23 billion. I, I haven't met any of these people. Mm-hmm. Most of them I haven't met, right? But they, they know that there's something good here and they know that together we can win. And, and that's why they're so passionate about it and they want to make this organization, you know, the Celsius Network, the biggest thing ever. Again, we're fighting for all the money in the world. So no one pays overdraft fees or inactivity fees or ATM fee or all these things bank uh, charge you because you are small, because you are poor, because you don't have any leverage. You're you're not a, a, a powerful, uh, rich, uh, white guy. Uh, and 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 we're here to flip all of that. We're here to change all of that. No, those fee. What was it? Was it Wells Fargo that was like one of the more recent ones that got caught? They were purposely like delaying deposits in order to charge the those 
what do you call it? The overdraft fees. And again, like who are the people that are getting overdrafted? It's not someone who has buckets of money. It's obviously someone who is living paycheck to paycheck and needs that check to drop on time. Like, whoa, how is this legal? And how is it when it's found out that these malpractices are happening that there's not like these significant consequences? It's like a slap on the wrist and then we're still the ones paying the price. No one goes to jail ever. Wells Fargo got caught exactly what you said. They also opened... 3 million fake bank accounts and they charge people $20 every month on a bank account that the customer doesn't need and doesn't want. I had that. I had a more, I have a mortgage with Wells Fargo and they told me you must have a can account with that mortgage. And then I found out I don't have to have an account with that mortgage. And they just charged me $20 a month for that account. And they <laughs> did that to 3 million people. Wow. You know, no one went to jail. They paid a billion dollar fine. Well, the money they collected from all these people times $20 times several years is more than a billion dollars. So they still made money even though they paid the fine. That's not fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when are we going to unbank ourselves? When are we going to throw that away and just do what's in our best interest, right? Go uh, disconnect from the fiat world and go into the crypto world, right? When are we going to do that? Right? It's all for us. Now, one, one more thing that's very important that m- most people don't understand. Banks have leverage, right? You hear about uh, this bank and that bank, the leverage 10 to 1, the leverage 20 to 1. Guess what? That works in reverse as well. Meaning if a bank has $100, they can issue loans for $1,000. But the reverse is true as well. When you withdraw $100, the bank has to collapse or eliminate or close loans for $1,000 because they don't have the $100 anymore. So we have... We have 10 times the leverage that people think we do, or 20 times. Some of these banks are levered 20x, right? So when you withdraw your money from a bank, when you join crypto, you are causing 10 times or 20 times the damage to the banks. And most people think, oh, I'm too small. I only have a few thousand dollars. No, you have 10 times as much leverage as you think. So so, so when you leave finance, uh, centralized finance, and you go into crypto, you are actually causing damage on the other side. You're helping crypto, you're helping the community, and you're causing damage to the people who's been stealing from you for decades. Oh man, I had I had no idea that it worked that way at all. Cause I yeah. I'm the same way. I'm like, well, what is my one account gonna do? Cause I've been again, like this deep dive has like lit a fire inside of me and I just wanna learn more and more. So we're closing our account with like one of these big banks that we have, and like their manager has been going crazy. And I was actually surprised because when I initially thought I was gonna leave and tell her my reasons for leaving. Um, that she was not going to care because I'm like, there's so much more money out there in the world than like my small account. Like, I, they're not going to even notice me. And then I just see her kind of in a tizzy, like blowing my phone up for the last two weeks. And I'm like, holy cow! I actually did. I affected at least this one little branch, and then that makes me feel like I actually did something, whether or not I did. We'll see. But um, I like played my role, so to speak. Look, they would not be putting so much effort against crypto if they didn't feel the pain, right? Mm-hmm. Bitcoin now has over $1 trillion valuation, right? So so it, it, it is there. I mean, a, a quarter of all Americans now have crypto in their, in their accounts, right? Uh, so in their possession. So one out of four people. Like they, mm. it's, I didn't it's know game that over, high. right? You cannot get elected po- to be a politician unless you say Bitcoin three times. You can run as much as you want. You can <laughs> shake hands with as many people as you want. If you don't say the word Bitcoin, you're not going to get elected. I promise you that. So we're there. 
you know mm. and again this is this is our money it's acting in our best interest right all we need to do is the future is here right you just gotta let go of the past you gotta instead of holding to the past you just gotta let go there's nothing good there believe me you will you feel so much better when you unbank yourself i love that phrase it's so good it's so so good so when i guess like we mentioned earlier, because we're dealing with money and it does take that adoption rate is a little bit slower just because of that trust factor. Do you see a world where everything is is exchanged in crypto? Like we're not using USD or euros or pounds. Um, and then I guess like have you predicted, I guess, when that happens? <laughs> so – I'm in the minority on that question. It's a very important question and, and I'm in the minority. So I'm saying, and I've been saying that now for five years or longer, that uh, crypto, right? Bitcoin or Ethereum are a horrible form of payments. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of other people will tell you, what are you talking about? You should pay everything with your crypto. That's the future. And I'm saying, no, Bitcoin is a great store of value. It's a great way to save not touch it, sit on your hands, put it aside, don't look at it even, right? But it's a horrible form of payment. Dollars are a phenomenal form of payment, but they're a horrible store of value. You put dollars away and you don't look at them, and you, when you look at them, they're worth half of what they used to <laughs> work. So let's not use these things for the wrong things. For example, I'll just give you a simple example, right? A, a, a year ago, I remember Elon Musk telling everybody, oh, I now accept Bitcoin for my Tesla. You can buy a Tesla from me. You can buy a Tesla from the richest guy in the world. He's willing to take what back then was five Bitcoins mm -hmm. and give you a Model S, one of his best cars ever, right? Today, the five Bitcoins are worth 250000 right? So the Tesla that should have cost you 50000 and now it's worth less because it's already a year old. So I said, maybe it's worth 30,000. If you just kept that Bitcoin, you would have 250,000. So if you came to Celsius and said, look, I have five Bitcoin, give me a loan to buy a car. Mm -hmm. You would have 250,000 and you would have a loan for 50,000, right? You would be way ahead than if you bought the, the Tesla with the Bitcoin and gave your five Bitcoin to the richest guy in the world. He's the richest guy in the world for a reason. Believe me, if he's willing to do an exchange of his prized possession, a Model S, for your five Bitcoin, you should think hard before you <laughs> agree to do it. So my point is, you'll be driving, every day you drive that Tesla, you hate yourself. You hate <laughs> driving that Tesla. It costs you so much money. The coffee mm -hmm. cup you bought a year ago, right? Instead of co costing you $5, now it costs you $25. So is there anywhere on the planet a person that's not willing to reverse all the Bitcoin transactions that they've ever done. I rest my case, right? I mean, so don't use it for payments. It's not mm -hmm. designed for that, right? Just like you don't try to buy milk with your pillow from your bed, right? You don't bring your pillow to the store and say, hey, here's my <laughs> pillow. Give me some milk. <laughs> it's only good for one thing. So use it for what it's intended for. And Bitcoin is good for store value, right? Take a loan against it or an interest on in it, right? Do all kind of other stuff. Do not use it for payments. 
No, that's very sound advice because that was something I was always curious about too because a lot of people are saying, you know, the future is going to be using these in for exchange or to replace the US dollar. I'm like, well, how does that work though when like when that volatility is so drastic? It's like the cup of coffee that you bought the night before all of a sudden is worth a, a car. And you're like, well, what did I just do? <laughs> this was a terrible decision. Exactly. So you you get it. A lot of other people don't. They want you to transact in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and, and and frankly, again, just don't do it. You know, so mm-hmm. so uh, say no. You know, just like that commercial, say no. You know, so uh, <laughs> just hodl, hodl, hodl. Your Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. No, amazing, Alex. This was so informative. I really enjoyed our conversation. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you, how they can support you, where they can find Celsius, and maybe a little bit about your conference that you're going to? Are you you're going to the Bitcoin conference? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. we have a big a big booth. I'm going to be on stage with the uh, uh, several times that we're doing different things. But uh, look, we, we and by the way, we have uh, a weekly show. I have a weekly show uh, that's uh, an AMA. You can ask me anything on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. So just do a search for Celsius Network on YouTube, and you there's 170 episodes. I've been doing it uh, every Friday for four years. So definitely join us there. There's a lot of Q and A updates about the community and so on. Also on Twitter at Celsius Network. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mashinsky, my last name. And uh, what else? Celsius.network is the website. And uh, we're going to be in Miami at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. We have the largest booth on the floor. You can't miss us. And uh, we have a party on Friday, uh, uh, this Friday. Uh, uh, and so if you're in Miami, look at our Twitter. There is The address is right there. Come join us. Meet the community. Uh, we're going to have several thousand Celsians there. Uh, sharing stories and talking about doing good and doing well. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Thanks for having me. Well, before we wrap up this week's episode, we're going to do our reviews where we read one of our recent review on Apple Podcasts. This one is by Mr. Wolf. The show covers a broad range of interesting topics. The guests come for a variety of backgrounds, knowledge, and experience bases. In a day and age where it feels like everyone is losing their minds, it's nice to hear conversations about topics that can polarize people discussed so openly and thoughtfully. Candace is eloquent in her speech and approach isn't expletive. She isn't afraid to share her thoughts and viewpoints during the discussion. 10 out of 10. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Wolf. I appreciate the review. And if you haven't left a five-star review in a while, please take a minute to do so. It helps me a ton with charting and the algorithms. So I would appreciate it. And like always, hit subscribe, like, and share with a friend, two or three, if you know anyone that is just as confused as I am with this whole new web 3 DeFi crypto world that we all seem to be finding ourselves in so i will see you next time thank you for listening